Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. It is now time actually for a COVID installation. It just won't go away. So let's not waste any time. This is going to be COVID file installation episode number eight. And this is probably going to be the most controversial to date. Not to say that we won't still keep sticking our toes into the water per se, but um, yeah, go ahead and tune in to this episode, especially if you've ever wondered what safety measures are worth it. That's kind of the topics that we're going to start uh, tackling here is this COVID issue just, just hasn't quite gone away yet for us. So without further ado, obviously... The COVID files are still sponsored by Autron Teal, lovemytummy.com. Get your own polyphenols. Your daily polyphenol intake, Autron Teal, the only supplement with Cabracho Colorado, the most stable polyphenol on the planet. And, of course, always go to kbmdhealth.com. Always go to kbmdhealth.com, not just to pick up products that Dr. Brown himself endorses, such as CBD and broccoli, filled with uh, sulforaphanes, by the way, as well as his signature package, which features CBD and Autron Teal, or the Biohacker package, which contains Broccoli Pro, CBD, and Autron Teal. But you can actually start to download information, such as the ECS information. You can get information on your ECS. You can start to get more information on what to do for COVID protection. We've got more material that you can begin to use and share just on kbmdhealth.com. Or if you ever forget, gutcheckproject.com also takes you basically to the same spot. So without further ado, let's head off to COVID file installation number eight. And uh, I think this is a good one. So be sure to like and share, share with your friends. And here we go. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. It is now time for COVID, believe it or not, episode installment number eight. We can't escape it. It will not go away. This, this is going to be probably the most controversial episode to date that we've ever done on, um, on COVID. Your co-host here, Dr. Kenneth Brown, along with me, Eric Rieger. Ken, what's happening? Not much, Eric. I mean, I mean, this is uh, this this episode. The way that we're getting into some murky waters now. We're talking about some controversial things here, and you know, after watching that video of that Scottsdale woman barge into the Target and tear apart that mass display, she was wearing that forty thousand dollar watch, and it really got me wondering, what is she doing shopping at Target? a $40,000 watch on. I mean, isn't that more of a Neiman's thing or she should be tearing apart the mass station at Neiman's or I don't know. Yeah. You could, you you think you could use that watch to get somebody to go shopping for you. (laughs) I don't know. It's just such an odd world we're living in. All of this stuff is being captured and it's not like somebody filmed her. She sat out front, filmed herself, said, this is what I'm going to do. Oh yeah. $40,000 watch on it. I'm going to go into this target and I'm going to destroy this mask display because masks. So Eric Rieger. What's up? This episode is controversial. What are we going to talk about today? Well, it sounds to me like we're going to be talking about Karen's on Reddit. Is that right? No. Not even close. Thank we're going to be talking about. Because <laughs> I'm saying, you know what? I've got, we've got some fans out there, and I know two <laughs> friends of mine whose names are Karen, and I think that sucks that they always have to be under fire for a good name. For oh, no- your poor Karen friends. They're taking a beating right now. Ridiculous. But regardless, so no Karens on Reddit. What are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to talk about masks, and we're just going to kick some science like we always do. So this isn't a political thing. This isn't a controversial – well, it's controversial for some people, and I don't really understand why because I just want to go over the science of this. So um, before we get into that, let's talk about what's going on locally. And certainly one thing happened that you and I could not participate in, and it's our good friend Nick and Jessica's wedding that happened on Friday. Can you tell everybody why? Because big shout out to them. Congratulations. That's awesome. Nick is one of our most valued employees. He started the company with us. Definitely. Love the fact that he got married and hate the fact that you and I couldn't go. Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, procedure center that we do all of the endoscopies at 
uh, we had a confirmed at least two cases of people that came through. We were advised as healthcare providers that we needed to be diligent for at least five days and make certain that we did not insert our presence into crowds of more than 10 publicly. And that was, I mean, not to be able to go and support someone that we care a lot about, such as Nick and then his new wife, Jessica, was no fun at all. But on top of that, it also led to doing next to nothing for five days over the 4th of July weekend. So our freedom was basically sit at home and, and just trying to get people sick. That's exactly it. I've got a great uh, firework display of me with a uh, one of those little sparklers in my backyard alone. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as far as uh, as it got over here. We fortunately, I live in the country, so there was a handful of folks who shot off fireworks, but uh, that pretty much concluded uh, the Fourth of July weekend for 2020. Quick shout out to my mom who just turned 78 on July 4th. Got a bunch of pictures from her. Love the fact that she's still kicking it, standing her own deck, standing her own deck, taking care of her own yard. 78, mom, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Diana Brown. That's awesome. Um, so this is a really interesting thing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit shocked about the whole um, way that we're kind of approaching this whole mass situation and all these other things. Right now, this is um, July 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're having a resurgence of everything. Everybody's flipping out again. We had the first flip out, and now we're having flip out number two. And everybody's wondering what the government's going to do. But I, I, I don't blame them because we're six months into this pandemic, and there's so many things that have had misinformation from organizations that we traditionally would say, oh, if they said it, it's perfect. So like the CDC and the WHO, the World Health Organization, Let's just go over a couple quick things. And if you look back at the earlier episodes of Gut Check Project on COVID, we've been ahead of the science the whole time. And we've really just tried to talk science, not um, conjecture, not scary, nothing like that. So this is initially, the WHO said, there's no evidence that this has human to human transmission. Wrong. Learned that that pretty quick. That was very wrong. And then the CDC came out and said, masks don't matter. And wrong. Now they're mandatory. And we were told that hydroxychloroquine, Plaquenil, was a panacea. It's going to fix everything. It's going to cure everybody. And then this article comes out and it says, no, it's harming people. And then everybody retracted articles from the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine and said, what are we doing publishing this, this crap? And really, an article came out last week that said, no, a much more refined, well-done study actually shows that it saves lives. And then when they looked back and looked at the original study, that um, it was probably poorly done and they didn't equate for certain risk factors and stuff. So it's really hard to know what to actually do. This is, this is unprecedented times. This is not something that we have ever dealt with before. So it's no. okay to be wrong. Just own it and know that you're wrong. It is. And I I do want to point out something before we get too far. If you're watching this and you feel as if uh, something's going to be presented from a political slant, trust me, that is the furthest thing from what uh, Ken or I want to do on this topic whatsoever. Um, Science should be agnostic to any political affiliation. And I think what you're going to hear from uh, Ken and I as we move forward is just utilize data. That's what science is about, and that's how we save lives. It has zero to do with a, uh, with a political party whatsoever. Um, dude, this totally reminds me. This is deja vu for me, though. I mean, you have to understand. Remember, I take polyphenols every single day. So I remember um, back in the 1940s and 50s when seatbelts were first proposed, getting in huge arguments with people. Oh, yeah. It was just like, yeah, seatbelts, it, it, it aroused heated debates despite increasing scientific research. Um, it was between, I, I think it was in 1947, I got in a huge argument with somebody that affirming that, the, that this actually saves lives. And among the arguments put forth against the seatbelts, there were all these other things, and they were all disputed by researchers. But the opposition to seatbelts remained in place, and it took all up to the 1980s to actually make it so that you all cars had to have three-point seatbelts 
And I don't even know when the law went into place where basically you can get a ticket if you don't. So I've been through this before. I've been through arguments where science tries to win. And so I remember, you know, 1948, that was tough. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how young you look for having been around just after the World War II and old enough to have that kind of conversation. So my hat's off to you for being around in the 40s and, and, and really just kind of keeping it together and passing for a 40-year-old yourself now. So that's kind of weird. You know, it it's odd. It's a little bit odd. Yeah. It's, it's really, really strange. I mean, like seriously, you were so far ahead of the curve on polyphenols alone that, uh, well, I don't even want to go through it, but regardless, that's amazing that you were there for 40, for four decades just to but, see it in the eighties. But isn't it funny? Cause we're going to talk about masks here for a second and seatbelts went through the same, not quite with the, with the, I guess, emotional power that's going on but a lot of people fought seatbelts and said that's my constitutional right if i want to die i can die and it took forever it took from 1940 to 1980 to actually make it that it was a mandated thing in car my grandmother was one of those who was vehemently opposed to having to wear a seatbelt so much so that she had talked about that she was going to sew something that looked like a seatbelt onto her shirts just so that she wouldn't have to have one on But uh, um, not to put you on the spot here, because I know how much you, you loved your dad. But tell me that story about you driving with your dad in the car. Oh, in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of my earliest <laughs> memories of riding with my dad. Uh, we, we lived in a small town and uh, there was a lake nearby. And I can still remember my dad and his buddy, Jim. We it was commonplace, I guess, for us to go out to the lake. Well, occasionally. Dad would let me, I was probably about three or four years old, sit in his lap and, uh, you know, work the steering wheel while he worked the pedals and he would hang his left hand out the, uh, <laughs> out the window so he could ash his cigarette. You know, it was all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was certainly, that was certainly the time. So, so now it's, it's 2020. I hop on Reddit, you know, the front page of the internet, whatever. And I see all these public freakouts. And a lot of them are over this whole mask issue. So I just wanted to talk some science. I don't want to make it political. I just want to have some fun dialogue about viruses and masks. And I found three studies that are pending publication, meaning they've been accepted. They're not in print yet. They just came out like last week that I just want to talk into that. I just want to talk about a little bit. Let's do it. I mean, this is, this is what it's about. Let's get into some data on why we would uh, believe one thing or another. Yeah. So, all right, starting one article from China, which is really interesting because when everything first came out, um, Hey, Ken, your sound went off. Oh my goodness. It sure did. Didn't it? Sorry about that. Sorry about Um, that. You said in China, just start over and you're good. Yeah. So in China, so this article comes out of China. It's, um, it's pending publication here. What I thought was really cool is that they went back and they looked at the very beginning and they said, well, let's do a deep epidemiological dive. It's a hard word for me to say um, of a cluster of people. And so they looked at a group of people in the Zhejiang province, which next to the Wuhan area, which I forgot what the province is called, um, has had a very, very high concentration of COVID, but they're going back to the beginning of COVID. So this is like early January, that kind of thing. They tracked down a person that came from Wuhan, so he was probably exposed there, and then he ultimately, very quickly, um, infected seven other people. Then what they did, it's really cool, because this has not been done yet. They tracked out whoever they had contact with, primary contact, secondary contact. So we've been speculating about a lot of different things, and what they're able to show is that these seven people had contact, direct or indirect, meaning Um, close or not close with 539 people in a very short period of time. So that shows how much we interact with people, even though we don't really realize it. Sure. Okay. What they, what they were able to determine and all these people, these seven people were asymptomatic. So they did, had no idea they had COVID. COVID was just breaking on the scene. It's all this other stuff. And what they showed is that all these people, if they had close contact to somebody, almost 30% or 29% of the people actually contracted COVID contracted it and proven positive and had symptoms and all this other stuff. The secondary contact, meaning no direct contract. And what I'm talking about is 
people that did ha- never actually talk to the people, but they talked to the person that talked to the person that maybe have done that. Or maybe it was a waiter that delivered food, that kind of thing. It was 0.6%. So this is the first article to come out and actually delineate the exposure to risk of infection. So 0.6%. So what this does is this strongly highlights a droplet theory because I remember, um, and I remember having like very early on, um, Mike Logsdon asked me, he's like, hey man, is this aerosolized or is this droplet? And that's what we're gonna talk about today because it's terrifying if you start talking about this being aerosolized, this kind of thing, and this is what all of this is about. So what this highlighted was a droplet theory, meaning that if you're close to somebody, then you have a higher likelihood of getting infected. The US published a very similar article to this, and this is why the CDC said it appears that it could be a droplet transmission as opposed to aerosolized. Now, a couple interesting other caveats that we won't get into, because I think it should be its own show, is um, the median incubation period was seven days of these people to develop symptoms. And the uh, people that actually had it, almost all of them initially had negative PCR tests. And then they continued to go back and then they'd started, then they go back and they look and they go, oh, look, you had an elevated CRP, you had an elevated ferritin. And they kept checking them and then they got a PCR positive. And what I mean by this is, Maybe when we're sitting there saying, go get tested. So I recently had a patient that was PCR negative on one day, PCR negative two days later, because you're like, man, she's got to have COVID. This is crazy. And then PCR positive three days later, which is very odd in the sense that you develop a seven day incubation period. Your viral load should be peaking at that time. That's why you're having these issues. And two PCRs were negative. So hanging your hat on the fact that it's a PCR, meaning that nasal swab where they poke your brain, it's, it even happened in this study. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but definitely the odds are way higher than what the are not, meaning the number of people that could be infected. If it's a close familial unit, what they showed is when you're in close contact with somebody, you have a very high likelihood of contracting COVID if you take the necessary precautions. And they, they weren't even taking the necessary precautions at this, but the secondary to secondary transmission. So this brings up the whole idea that if we can squash it before other people are carrying it, it makes a huge difference because this is early on in COVID. I don't think you'd see those same numbers if they did it again. No, I totally agree. And, and what you just described for the patient isn't, um, I mean, in and of itself is what could be seen as anecdotal. However, there's a couple of different stories that have played out exactly like that. There's a, there's another anesthesia provider that you and I both know. Um, and she experienced the same thing after uh, coming into exposure. She had two PCR negatives only to have really bad symptoms set up. I think it was uh, three days between the first two and then three days after she had uh, the next test showed up positive because she had bad symptoms. And sure enough, she was COVID positive at that point. So that, that's not really that big of an anomaly, I don't, I don't think, at all. No, I don't think it is either. And, you know, we, we did a whole show on antibodies, and we are still sitting on the – we're still waiting to determine what is the best antibody test. And we really – at the data that we had, we were so confident. This is what, it's, this is what we were going to do. This is how it was going to be, and it was going to be so exciting. And now that is – pulling up. So all we can do is just kind of look at the data that's here. So the, this article shows that if somebody has it and they're in close contact, they can easily infect seven close family members. Those seven family members have contact to 529 people or 39 people really quick because they went to a wedding, which is why you and I didn't go to Nick's. The precise um, reason we didn't go. Yeah. And so um, what they, the, now the, the critique that I have of this article is that what they did is they, they did a great job of tracking down 529 people or 39. I can't remember what it was. Um, 539, sorry, 539. And they just called them up and said, did you have this? Did you have that? So-and-so. And they didn't. So those people that didn't have symptoms, they said they probably didn't get it. And we know that's not right anymore. We know that a lot of people are essentially asymptomatic or they just blame it on allergies or whatever. So, The point of this is close contact, proximity makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure it does. And um, 
knowing that proximity matters. What do they call the, uh, and maybe one of the studies that you're going to reference today shows it, but uh, not the plethysma graph. That's what shows the displacement of air whenever we breathe in. But there's, there's uh, these uh, UV light and uh, infrared light uh, uh, scanners that show the airflow that comes out of your mouth when you're uninhibited, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you can see distance, et cetera. But having an object, even if it happens to be really crappy cloth, really does drive down the distance and area by yeah. which your droplets can travel. Yeah, that's awesome. Next time you do that, say spoiler alert, please, because that's all we're going to talk about for the rest of the show. Is so, the of that. Just so you all know, he never tells me which studies he's going to reference. I'm learning as we all go. And, uh, I love it. You know what I always like about this is this is why you always ask great questions because you're a healthcare provider, you're super smart, and you know, and that's exactly where we're going to go. But we're not just going to say, oh, do this. I'm going to get into the science of it. So now let's talk about the second article. All right. So we already have an article from China that shows close contact makes a difference. We believe it's more droplet than aerosolized, meaning in the air. Sure. And an article from Germany came out two days ago, actually, and they looked at the effectiveness of mass wearing after masks were made mandatory countrywide. So there is a general perception in Germany that public wearing of face masks reduces the incidences of COVID-19 significantly. Now, this perception came mainly from one city. So one city named Jena, uh, spelled J-E-N-A, Jena, um, immediately said we should all wear masks, which was really cool of the mayor there to say, let's do this. So they introduced masks on April 6th, 2020, and the number of new infections fell to essentially zero. So based on that one city, the country of Germany um, said, okay, we need to make it compulsory in all federal states. And it started on April 20th and worked its way through to April 29th. That all, that all of Germany has to wear masks. The conclusion is that the introduction of face masks reduced the number of new infections over the next 20 days by 25%. Impressive. 20 days, 25% drop. Then they compared this to a synthetic control group. So they had a control group where they could actually look at this. It was, admittedly, it's a lot of um, science, uh, epidemiologic manipulation and stuff like that because you can never have a control group where you say you can't wear a mask but what they sure. did is they synthetically did it it's pretty easy to do that because you can look at certain states in the u.s where the majority of people don't wear masks then you could say what is the rise so um the conclusion of the authors was that they believe that the reduction in the growth rates of infection were at least between 40 to 60 percent is the best estimate and then they stressed that if you used a model like yena that 40 to 60% reduction in viral transmission is really low ball estimate. Because if you would have started it earlier, you would have decreased the number of people that had the virus, the R not, meaning the number of those people that they could have infected would have gone down significantly. So we have a country like Germany that looked at one city and said, it's down to zero, we got to do what they're doing. And they immediately jumped on it. And that's pretty impressive. So I, I think it's, if we're arguing whether or not masks work, it's pretty easy to look at other countries like Japan and Germany that were very um, aggressive about this. Now, Japan has always had a pretty, um, how, how do I say this, a liberal role of masks. It's, it's part of the culture, so it's not a big deal. Germ Germany didn't. Germany, it's not like people were walking around wearing masks, sure. but they all collectively agreed to do this and it is just, if you look at their world meters their cases are just plummeting. So I just want to say those two articles. So one from China talks about close contact. Two from Germany, where a country that isn't used to doing that clearly is showing a significant drop in this. And so the third article is all about how and why. That's it. Sure. No, that makes sense. And then when you reference the fact that you have Germany being a country that didn't typically wear them, um, I think historically, uh, when you look at uh, the way they apply engineering, the way they, they utilize the base STEM, they probably embrace the idea that science is at least supporting a reduction in transmission only to see it play out. As you said, uh, I think you said 20 days, a reduction of 25%. And that's also probably not accounting for 
non-compliance and some probably pockets of people that didn't really embrace it as a whole. So that would probably be, that would equate at least to a trigger on why there was still some transmission afterwards. Yeah, it's just, it's super impressive. We'll get into why a lot of this is going on. But so now I found this super cool article. Um, it's pending publication. And it's the article is actually titled COVID-19 and aerosols point of view from expiration to transmission. Ooh, nice. I like the, uh, the crowd so, noise there too. The, for, for everyone listening in the studio audience is all wearing masks. So I'm, <laughs> and they're, and they're actually distant a little bit. Um, so this is really cool because this is, you know, we have these people that are flipping out, but let's, let's talk about the physics of stuff. Let's talk about what's actually going on, how, what masks do, what viruses do. So um, this whole article is about that. And it's, I just found it super interesting that it's, um, it gets into all this stuff. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? No, I, that's, that, this is the explanation. This is why I think that uh, we can remove the, uh, the politics behind the use of a mask and the oddity of, of using a mask and then start getting down to the explaining of, of why a mask. And, if it, and it, hopefully if this makes sense to those who may be on the fence. It'll be less of a, I don't know, your, your heels in the dirt, right? You'll, you'll be more open to like whenever you're going into a communal area, just throw on a mask. At least you're not going to be contributing to the problem. Totally. Wow. Hey, Karen, <laughs> can you not, can you not? All right. Let's just be quiet for the show for now. Okay. Oof. Goodness gracious. Last time I do a live audience. All right. So anyways, um, <laughs> let's talk about a few things for you to become infected. For a respiratory infection to happen, there needs to be a sufficient amount of virus. You need to have a viral load. Now, here's something that's interesting when you read the literature. When they discuss when a virus is outside of a body, it is referred to as a virion. Right. Virion. So the virion is being, carol, is being carried in an aerosolized vessel, which is a droplet. So we know that ACE2 receptors, you and I did the original um, uh, podcast on how COVID, on how SARS-CoV-2 infects us and becomes COVID-19 on the ACE2 receptors. Those ACE2 receptors are located in the lungs and in the GI tract. They're heavily populated in the um, posterior pharynx and bronchus, which you know much better than I do because you did the whole episode on the lungs. Um, but that's the conductive zone. And then the respiratory zone, the alveoli is the uh, gas exchange area. So that's further down in. Am I saying that right? Yeah, pretty much. But those, uh, those ACE2 receptors, uh, of course, they affect, if y'all remember correctly, pneumocytes. There are uh, two types of pneumocytes in your lungs. And uh, one of them in particular has more ACE2 receptors and it happens to be the ones that help us breathe. And so when these things get disrupted, we, we don't breathe through those pneumocytes anymore. That's right. So. Go back to that COVID episode because Eric goes into crazy detail about um, surfactant and all these other things and why we got so sick. And that was back early on when we were trying to piece it together. And, right. and you know, fortunately, I think we found the right literature that makes sense because it's, yeah. it's true. Definitely. I believe that. So what you're describing is when you get down into the alveoli and what I'm talking about is the conductive system, which is your trachea and the main bronchus, what we're talking about is what size of aerosol, meaning if something is in the air, is important on making this virus infective or how do we control it? So sure. the WHO, the World Health Organization, says that the virus is primarily spread through droplets from sneezing and coughing. When these droplets reach a person's nose, mouth, or eyes, pow, now you have an infection. And then the indirect way is when these droplets land, then they land on something called a fomite. Fomite is a fancy term for anything that a virus lands on. So this pen could be a fomite if I sneezed on it. And if you touch it and then touch your eyes, you could potentially have an infection. So I'm right. going to tell you right now, Eric, don't touch my fomites. All right. Uh, hands off your fomites for sure. <laughs> hands off my fomites. Um, I think one of the reasons why people are fighting the mass thing is the confusion on what the CDC said early on on this COVID-19 pandemic. 
And basically, they almost implied if you don't have an N95, that fancy mask, then are you going to be safe? And we didn't know all that stuff. And so now we know quite a bit more about this. And the CDC essentially was saying that to protect healthcare workers. I don't think they really understood it. But in this is unprecedented times in a pandemic, they have to sit there and land on a stance. And it's okay to have a hard stance to try and make sure that we have enough um, protective equipment for everyone out there. And then it's okay to retract. So at one point they're sitting there saying the masks don't help. And then they're saying now they're mandatory. And I think that's why we're having this emotional response. So well, I think an invasion into anyone's uh, normal everyday activity with a poor explanation, which I mean, if we're going to be honest, in the early days of all of this, things, things happened quickly, but it didn't, I would say for many people, it didn't appear as if the right information was always readily available. Everything seemed very ambiguous. And with ambiguity, you, you allow people to breed some elements of content and, and uh, they just weren't. They weren't excited about what they were hearing. And then when you go back and forth, I think that people, they, they say, well, once you told me this and now you're telling me this without a full understanding that sometimes the, uh, the things change and they were, they required just, just different things from people to do different activities. So it, there's, there's definitely some vitriol from, from people who don't want to give up more of their liberties, I think is probably a, a big piece of the issue. 100 percent we're going to get into that about um all this this is not trying to shove it down you know not trying to placate to one side or the other this is so no. the science of what's going on and what we do know is you're like well why do you care if you touch my fomite well you would be shocked at how many people touch their eyes after they touch something you're always scratching your eyes that is a that is also a point of entry which this article did not get into but um that's how come we're saying we're i'm guilty of doing it on this podcast already i mean i, mean, I, I know just, i've done it it's, it's super hard not to. So it's all right. So one of the things is that um, airborne transmission, when it first came out, it is somewhat terrifying to think that this thing could be just floating around in the air. But when Mike asked me, um, is this aerosolized or is this droplet? What I'm going to say is airborne transmission is through the air. So they're both airborne transmission. And that, that is another part of the confusion that the, that the news media was saying. This is not transmitted airborne, but transmitted through droplets. I'm saying that a droplet is that. So droplets and aerosolized are airborne transmission. It just comes down to size, which is the definition of it. So a respiratory droplet is saliva and secretions expelled from the upper airway, posterior pharynx, nose, um, and this happens with sneezing, coughing, talking, even breathing, you're going to be expelling some of this. Generally, they are considered to be between five to 10 microns in size. And this is just relevant for the mask when we start talking about that. But due to the size, they are brought down by gravity after shooting out. So when I cough or sneeze, they get shot out. And you could say, oh, well, how do you know that? Well, the reality is in 1934, a doctor named Dr. Wells came up with this really cool Wells evaporation falling curve, which I always find interesting as a scientist. So you could, I, I, always, I always think it's funny when these guys do these things. Um, the, I joke around like somebody named the fever that you get with malaria is called the double quotidian fever of not Nagel. And, and I always have this funny vision in my head that somebody walks into Dr. Not Nagel's lab. He goes, you'll never amount to nothing. You're worthless. He goes, screw you. I'm going to name this double quotidian fever of Not Nagel. And this is kind of what I feel about this. So like, I'm going to prove to you that when I sneeze, my droplet has a predictable mathematical equation on when it evaporates and when it lands. Sure. In other words, when does it become a fomite? And when does it become aerosolized? And there's actually a math equation on this. So once the Wells curve has evaporated, the droplet is now a um, is now a virion, and then that virion is aerosolized, and it can hang out in the air for an hour. Right. We can kind of explain that. So there's reasons why this is um, relative. So if it's less than five microns then it can hang out in the air for up to an hour, up to an hour. So, all right. So my question to you, Eric, 
is we're hanging around and then um i want to know how far back you should stand when i do this it sounded like a sneeze and then uh how far back should i stand when you sneeze i would say probably just knowing how hard people sneeze probably at least 10 feet back would be the beginning of the edge, it seems to me. I mean, there's lots of turbulent flow that happens once it exits the body. And that's by design, believe it or not. But at the same time, um, the virus is, is uh, smarter, quote unquote, smarter than what we give it uh, credit for. They, they know why they want in mammals because they want to be transmitted. They want people to sneeze. That's how it gets passed around. Yeah. So that's, that's better. Than I thought you were gonna say, I thought you're going to use the old CDC rhetoric of six feet away. No. But if I sneeze, um, my particles can be in the air droplets, large wow. droplets can be in the air for uh, around 19 feet, a little over 19 feet. Wow. So 10 is not even good enough. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that that was a little shocking to me to find out that because we talk about six feet and then a droplet nuclei. And what I mean by droplet nuclei means that in the wells of apparition curve, You've got mm -hmm. these big droplets that land on a fomite, right. object, and then you touch your eye, and then you get infected. Or in a dry area, it evaporates and becomes less than five microns. Oh, it floats, yeah. And then it floats, and it can actually travel almost two miles. Wow. Yeah. So two miles, and... That is a little bit scary in the sense that we think about that. So now, why, why isn't it worse? Because, I mean, you're talking about the fact that I can actually sneeze if I'm outsized or, or cough and I have COVID-19 and it's dry, my virion will be carried in the air and travel up to two miles. And they've actually documented this. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't specifically related to COVID. It's related to all viral particles and things like that. And so what you were referring to earlier are those um, either heat or laser or different ways to show the transmission of different things. But when you take yeah. it out, when other studies have been done, and these are studies from 2004, there's studies from 17, it's pretty wild. Like, oh shit, we're screwed. If I can infect somebody two miles away. So now what we have to talk about is that's the, physics of the virus now let's talk about how do we get infected are you up to speed yeah, sure. on this? yeah 100 percent. I, I would say the small caveat would be even though we know that the, uh, the virus probably could travel up to two it, up to two miles in a really dry environment etc uh back to what you said earlier in the podcast it's in all likelihood it still requires several strands of rna to all basically kind of be there at once to overcome mucus, saliva, different things that actually our body's always producing to prevent invasions or infections like that. So, 100%. And so now let's talk about how we actually get infected. So there's several, so this is not all, now this particular article is directly in relation to COVID-19, but the references, we have the data from other viruses and things like that. So several factors do play into the infect Activity. So the virus characteristics. We know that SARS-CoV-2 is unlike anything else we've ever faced. The fact that the um, infectivity due to the furin protein, the binding furin protein that um, won't get into it, but Weinstein talks about, about how right. it's inserted there. Right. And then the ACE2 receptor, which is a ubiquitous receptor would explain how easy it is to get infected. You get infected through your GI tract, through your eyes, through your nose, breathe it in, get it in the back of your throat. All you got to do, if, you, if you're 18 feet away, and I don't know you, and you sneeze, and I go, I could be infected. You could be infected. That easy. Absolutely. That it's crazy. All right. So we know that the infectivity of this virus is exceptional in the way that it is exceptionally good at infecting um, other people. Now, the other thing is the host, the sneezer. So what if you have the virus and let's depend on your viral load. So this is why I brought up the original article about the epidemiologic study out of China. If your viral load is really high and you're a powerful sneezer, you're going to send a lot of virus out in droplets um, where it's going. And so the hosts themselves 
could potentially have a high viral load. And we know that it took up to seven days or the mean of seven days before they started showing symptoms, which means six days and a half, they're sneezing, coughing, thinking, ah, it's just allergies. It's nothing. And they're, that's where the are not or the other people that could be infected. So that's the other thing. So there's the virus characteristic. There's the host, the sneezer. Were you going to say something? Sorry. No, no, I just completely agree with that. And then the really thing that nobody's talking about is the transmission, the big drop or little drop. And that's kind of what you were getting at right there before we got into this. Yeah. So when you have a big drop, are we going to talk about the number of uh, RNA viral strands all in one drop? Is that kind of the concentration of the vehicle? We're going to get into that. And then something else that nobody's really talking about is that the victim, I'm going to call him the victim. So you're the host of the virus. You sneeze. Um, Several aspects come in play also. The victim's breathing patterns play a role that nobody's talking about yet. And I just, I just got the book by Nestor. His last name's Nestor. Heard him on um, Ben Greenfield's podcast about breathing. Like, we're apparently breathing wrong. But anyways, breathe through your nose helps. Um, if I'm breathing deep and fast, I'm creating an environment where I'm bringing in further air there. So the victim's breathing capacity Meaning if you're breathing big, you're getting in more air, you have, the, you have the possibility. And then, of course, the victim's immune system. And we always say healthy gut equals a healthy immune system. If you are under stress, you're not sleeping well, you're, you're a target. So imagine being a stressed person and somebody with the virus is 19 feet away. They sneeze. You hear the sneeze. You're already freaked out. And you start mouth breathing, bringing it in, posterior pharynx the conducting system of the lungs, the trachea, tons of ACE2 receptors. All you need is a couple, the viral load coming in gets there. So my recommendation, if you're out in public, you're not wearing a mask, that person's not wearing a mask, you see somebody sneeze, shallow, controlled breaths through your nose is at least a physiologic way to not back yourself into the corner. So... No, without question, you know, and, and maybe someday just go over the, we could, we could even talk about the physiology of breathing on, we, we have these little bitty uh, structures in our nose called turbinates and they are specifically designed to make air swirl so that the mucus, which is already in place, it doesn't just protect us from COVID. It protects us from all kinds of stuff. You've got, it's really there to trap things like a virus. You've got, yeah, you've got IgA sitting there. You've got IgG sitting there, IgM sitting there. Those are your antibodies. So when you take in a big breath, we should all be nose breathers, not mouth breathers. But anyways, that's a yep. whole separate, that's a whole separate discussion. So these are several factors that play into it. The host and the infected person play into it. Now, getting back to what you're talking about, which is really where masks come into play. Big drop, drop top. Cooking up drugs in a crock pot. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> big drop, drop top. All right. Anyways, so big not a hip hop show. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really hard to try and throw a little levity into a, a discussion that's so into, into and disease and pandemics. Yeah. It's kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So big drop. Um, when you have a big drop, the big droplets when they come out, the, you're exactly right. They're a drop and they hold more virions, meaning they hold more virus, more virus to infect you. Big drops deposit in the upper airway and the pharynx where there's lots of ACE2 receptors. Droplet nuclei, which is the scientific term for little tiny virions. So what happens is I sneeze, cough, talk, droplets come out, And in the Wells evaporation curve, big drops carry these viruses down and imagine them splashing, microscopic splashing down, and then that fomite could be there. Worse, I sneeze and my big droplets go 19 feet and you inhale a big droplet, that's super dangerous. The evaporation curve when the big droplet starts to go down as it evaporates with speed now you have a um, tiny little droplet called a droplet nuclei this has much smaller amounts of virions the so if you inhale one of these um, 
droplet nuclei, the ability of those virions to infect you is much less than a big droplet that's just you're taking a bolus of something. So keep that in mind because you're exactly right. Smaller amounts of virions, you have to expose yourself to higher levels of these uh, droplet nuclei to infect. Now, the downside is that they're so small that you can inhale them into those type 2 pneumocytes, which is a whole separate deal. Yep. And once again, I keep saying the same thing. We're going to get to this um, because it all just kind of ties up together. So the WHO states that droplet transmission is the primary way of infection. But if there's enough concentration of these droplet nuclei, then your infection rate goes up. Hence the healthcare workers. Right. that are our frontline people that are sacrificing their lives. So a nurse that's taking care of an ICU patient or not an ICU patient, it's not ventilated, not on a closed loop, that is just continually breathing out these um, droplet nuclei, well, it's hard to get infected by them, but if you put enough of them in a concentrated area, you can be infected. So the WHA is not completely right on that, but it's the best that they can do for the general public. And it has been shown that exhalations, sneezing, and coughing have droplets. But also, this is interesting, what you're talking about, why viruses want to infect mammals. One of the reasons why is because they come out with a cloud of mist. In other words, the humidity surrounding it, you sneeze out your own little cloud. And that is an evolutionary thing that keeps the humidity up so that the viruses do not disperse immediately. So big, the virus wants to be in a big droplet. And as we do this, our bodies end up doing this through evolutionary reasons. So it keeps this cloud of mist that keeps the humidity up. And it's looking to delay that um, evaporation curve because its survival is best if it either goes in somebody right away or if it lands somewhere. And we know that uh, SARS-CoV-2 that causes COVID-19 can live on like plastic for what? What do we say? 96 hours or something like that? Yeah, something like that. A couple of days anyway. Yeah. All right. Whew. That's, That's a lot of info. A lot right. of info. So now let's finally unmask how masks play a role into this. And sure. by wearing a mask, and this is, this is the easy part of the podcast, so it shouldn't be too difficult. But I think it's real important to understand the physiology because when you understand it, maybe – public freakouts will slow down a little bit. So um, by wearing a mask, we introduce a resistance barrier to the droplets. And this is exactly what you said in the first five minutes of the show. You're exactly right. It doesn't have to be an N95. You produce resistance to the droplets. The mask will reduce the expired air velocity. So as I'm talking to you, if you're sitting across the table from me and I'm shouting or I'm singing or I'm doing things that create a lot of air, that is the viral, that is the um, velocity of the air, which can shoot a viral load further out. So just by creating a little bit of resistance, and I have worked out with a mask, and it is a, it, it is a, it's a little, you know, I mean, I, I like it personally, because I feel like once we get out of this, we're all going to be like, you know, phenoms aerobically because if you go out for a jog <laughs> with a with a mask on it's uh you're like whoo yeah it's a, it's a it's a little bit harder so the mask will reduce the expired air thus slowing the the droplet down and it will essentially fall quicker so it's like think of that um your pitcher throwing a really fast 90 mile per hour you know fast pitch and me throwing with my left hand, you know, just barely making it halfway to, you know, right. home plate. The virus is going to drop. Sure. And as long as we're using proper um, contacts, fomite stuff, and there's some new evidence to show that maybe the whole fomite transmission, and we can talk about that later, um, is probably less important than we initially thought. So um, putting it there, if you have it, you're not going to put it out there. Um, you're not going to be able to eject the virus so far. And it will shrink the radius of where the virus goes. So we know that on those different laser type shots where they show where a sneeze goes, it's like a cloud and it just goes Poof, and kind of covers this big radius. Well, when you do that, you actually control the radius. So it comes like here and here. So that's at least does that. Now the droplet nuclei, the tiny little micron things 
are now moving slower, which means they evaporate quicker. So they can't join the droplet. Yep. So, although it seems dangerous that you're like, yeah, but you said earlier that the nuclei can travel two miles. But what I'm saying is that those nuclei, they have to gather in sufficient amounts. Otherwise, your own immune system can kick their ass. And that's what you really want. You want to be able to fight something as opposed to being overwhelmed by something. Now, the mask wearer also has something which is really interesting. And this gets back to the exercise. Your, re <clears throat> your reduced inhalation velocity. So you're 19 feet away, you sneeze, I'm wearing a mask, I breathe in, well, I'm only breathing in air that I can, that's just nearby my mask. It protects me also. So it's all physics about how when you're wearing a mask, you're decreasing the velocity in, you're decreasing the velocity out, which is why a lot of people are flipping out where they're like, I'm having trouble breathing. I'm like, that's okay. Any type of mask is there trouble breathing if you breathe through your nose and you do it controlled you get enough oxygen in it is i understand there's a million reasons why people feel claustrophobic and all this other stuff but um you know the six feet away thing that makes sense if, if everybody's wearing a mask that makes sense because your my ability to inhale your virus is decreased your ability to expel your virus is decreased now the WHO, World Health Organization, got everyone all scared and felt that if you don't have an N95, then you're completely screwed. This is not true. Right. It's not true. And that's part of the problem is that, and I, I was part, I've, I'm part of it. I go to the hospital, I wear a surgical mask, and people say, that's doing nothing for you. And I, I actually had this conversation with a couple doctors, and they're like, I'm, I'm not wearing a mask because I don't have an N95. Not true. From day-to-day -day standpoint, any barrier helps. I don't care. Any barrier helps. Yep. Pull your shirt up, wear whatever. But the more layers, the better. So they did do this um, show on ABC where they showed different uh, ways through a laser of how far a sneeze goes. And definitely the N95 is the best. And then followed that would be like a multi-layer with some sort of filter in the middle or some sort of quilt. So that's awesome. So let's get back to the frontline workers really quick. They still need those N95s because if someone is shedding droplet nuclei in a room, the overall amount of virions goes way up. And the longer that healthcare worker is sitting in the room, they have a statistically higher chance of becoming infected through these aerosolized or droplet nuclei. So that is, if you're in an extreme environment where you're treating COVID people, 12-hour shifts, yes. But if you're going to the supermarket, it's so easy to block this. Germany showed us. Germany yeah, without question. I mean, what you're talking about is, and I love the way you use the word extreme, because um, what we're talking about here is environmental air turnover time. If I'm, if I'm in a closed environment, a closed room with somebody else who is sick or infected and they're sneezing, there's obviously a high concentration probably of, trans, of uh, uh, virions, right? All in the air, suspended, falling on. Uh, on objects, et cetera, it's kind of all around me. But if I'm in a grocery store where doors are constantly opening up over and over again in a gigantic, you know, 30 foot ceiling, air turnover time is actually rather rapid everywhere that you stand. And if there happens to be airflow or you're outside, so really open air space, not closed in environments, avoiding people who are sick, having a barrier, all of these things play a role. It's, it's really just physics it's not it's politics. physics this is yeah. not politics this is not a constitutional or any of that it's physics um the the physics and ineffective process just makes sense to wear something around other people yeah not only to protect others but it's also to protect yourself so i've i've heard from people i've had um several patients where um i've talked to them i'm just like hey out of curiosity are your friends wearing masks they're like no and the answer usually is because they've not been directly affected which is something that we've heard and what what i think we're seeing is burnout of the information yeah and so what it's what's happening is until it affects somebody that you know then it becomes important again what i'm saying is it's not a big deal wear something cover up anything and you can make a difference yep so this is, this isn't, um, I don't really understand how it's become, well, I, I think nothing of putting on my seatbelt now. 
And at one point, that was a huge political and constitutional thing. Do you wear a seatbelt? Absolutely. I, I oh. definitely do. Because if I were to be in an accident, I want to survive it. I've got a family that I still want to see. I mean, I, I assume if you don't want to, or if you're okay with being maimed, then don't, then don't buckle up. But that's not where I am. I'm at. I, I like buckling up. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, it's just that, I don't know. Um, I really, I hate seeing other countries do so well in controlling it. And I hate being in this position right now where we're, we can't go to weddings because we're being exposed where, sure. uh, my hospital's 99% full. Um, right. Houston looks like most of the ICU beds are filling up. It's Great. scary. Just because it hasn't happened to you or a friend doesn't mean that it's not actively going on. So I don't know, just physics. Don't make it about, you know what, let's get some math. So it's just physics. You, uh, just real quick, and I know we don't want to keep the show going, going too long specifically on this, but what are your thoughts on, on people who probably more or less just don't want to wear a mask, but they, they've heard other rhetoric, I guess you could say, over uh, I have asthma or I have some type of breathing condition and I, I probably uh, can't can't stand wearing a mask just for me personally we you and i have several colleagues and coworkers that have asthma and just like us they wear a mask all of the time when at work and have for years long before coronavirus or covid issues whatsoever so i don't know i, I hear the excuses and it's unfortunate because i feel like that it's that's it's it's a it's a pathway that's not really genuine and it drives more angst than it does solutions you know, I don't know if I totally agree with you because I think if somebody has that feeling, then it's genuine to them. And I think if they educate, then they can do this. Then they might be able to tolerate the mask a little bit better. So if somebody were to have, let's say, I'm going to go through different scenarios. Um, sure. I, have, I have claustrophobia. And I, I didn't, think, yeah, I didn't say claustrophobia. I was just talking specifically yeah. asthma. Yeah, so. I'm, just, I'm just thinking of arguments. Right. To by having a background as to why and the protectiveness and the mm -hmm. fact droplet versus droplet nuclei and, and sure. understanding that, educating yourself to understand, I'm going to put this on. I'm not very comfortable. You and I have to wear N95s at work and we both freaking hate them. I they, hate them. They hurt. They, you know, they're just bad. Give you a bloody nose. I mean, they do lots of really cool they stuff. They do all kinds of stuff. So, um, I'm just thinking of, I'm just trying to think of different things. So somebody may be claustrophobic, somebody may sure. be, I'm trying to think of anything physical, uh, the asthmatic, the, um, the person, just something away from the political stance, because I don't think that, I think anybody that's um, doing this from a political perspective or a constitutional perspective probably has some cognitive dissonance. And I don't really want to address that. What I want to address is the person that has, um, let's just address the asthmatic person. So the asthmatic person is already at risk that if they get exposed, then they have a higher likelihood of having a bad outcome. So right. If you have asthma and you're listening to this, what I suggest is you continue to pursue the type, any barrier, any barrier that you can tolerate, just find some sort of barrier. It doesn't have to be the thing that, yeah, face shield, face shield. wear a face shield. That yeah. helps a ton. That stops those droplets. Realize that those droplets are coming out. We should all, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very salivary person. <laughs> I can't even imagine what's on this microphone right now. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm animated when I talk and stuff. And I know that I'm probably uh, causing lots of, saliva and things to come out a face shield that's a great example just a simple face shield if you're asthmatic do me a favor and just wear a face shield because that's not for yes you're helping other people but that's also for you because if you were to get it then you have a higher likelihood of having a bad outcome um the claustrophobic person should probably do well with the face shield as well and i, I don't know i'm um I guess, a, I guess my point was there, there are alternatives versus yeah. trying to find a subversive way to get around what some are seeing as a rule rather than a, a measure of public safety. And really for your own safety, if you're already subjected to uh, respiratory issues similar to asthma or even asthma, then you're right. You're actually already at higher risk. If anyone should be taking some cautionary measures, it's you. 
And let's let's talk about ways that that if if a mask is going to work for you, that's fine. Then then twenty feet is is something that you may want to examine and a face shield or, or some kind of alternative. But the takeaway is just because you have a reason where there may not be a suitable fit for a mask does not eliminate the need that you need to watch out for your own health. Just want to reiterate, we had one study from China that just got published last week showing that close contacts have a very high likelihood of if you're talking to somebody. We have a study from Germany which shows that the effective decrease in viral transmission countrywide, it absolutely was completely proven. And now we're looking at the physics of this. It just makes sense. So um, just look at the science, look at the physics of it. I don't want your big ass droplet landing in my upper airway. (laughs) That's right. Well, you know what else? Uh, We have something special and an email will go out. We've got a, uh, a patient and I should have brought the mask and we will show them next time. But we have a patient who actually showed up and made masks for you and I. Yeah. So uh, for Miss Unger, we will uh, we'll add a little place where if you would like a designer mask, she'll make you one that'll look cool. It won't even just made be you a-, a Texas Tech mask and I got myself a Nebraska Cornhuskers mask. Definitely. And they're really, really cool. And I might I add far more comfortable than the ones that we get when we're working at the endo center. So um, but anyhow, yeah, so there's, there's all kinds of alternatives, I guess, is, is the takeaway. And uh, we'll definitely share that with everyone so that they can get outfitted if they'd like. Yeah, and so if you're uh, listening to this, you know, we, we try and make a little bit of science fun. We try and talk about some different things. Go to kbmdhealth.com. We've got some uh, downloadable, we've got a great downloadable ebook because I personally believe that you need a healthy endocannabinoid system to have a healthy immune system. You need a healthy gut to have a healthy immune system. All of the above, we're offering you know these free downloads. So just go ahead and take a look at it, and to try and augment your life. Yeah. So as we as we put together all these podcasts, Ken is exactly right. Be sure and send people to gutcheckproject.com or to kbmdhealth.com. They technically right down right now go to the same spot anyhow to our homepage. But start um, uh, showing people that they can begin to build their knowledge base. So many of you who write to us every single week, we certainly appreciate it. And that's really why we're producing this particular one, both in person and online. We've been asked, okay, y'all are in healthcare. Is a mask really going to help? And that's exactly why Dr. Brown put together the research, et cetera, on why we're talking to everyone today specifically about this, because it's a burning question. As cases kind of took a dip and are hitting back up, we got tons of email questions, phone calls, like I said, in person, is this really something that I need to be doing? So we want to build upon that. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I think if you get one thing out of this podcast, out of today's episode, the one thing that I really learned, if you ever want to own a $40,000 Rolex, shop at Target, not at Neiman Marcus. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look at the news. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, major apologies to all of our Karen fans out there. <laughs> for certain, we know that y'all did not pick for that name to be the uh, the brunt of bad behavior in public. But unfortunately, that's just the way it's going at the moment. <laughs> all right. So I convinced myself that I will always have some sort of barrier on when I'm in public. Oh, without question. Without I question. You feel the same way, and I, it just makes sense if somebody says, why are you wearing a mask? I'm going to be like, oh, it's all about droplets. It's all about virions. It's all about the distance that I can hit you with my droplet and so on and so on. It just, there's science. Makes sense. Physics. Definitely science. Definitely. Well, what an awesome episode. And um, keep the emails coming. We, uh, as we, as we keep trying to shape up the, the next, uh, the next topic, a lot of this stuff is, is driven by, we've got an influx of questions just like we did over the last two weeks. Let's hear from you. This is what we're here for. So thanks to all of you who wrote in and uh, wanted to hear a little bit more about masks. And um, I don't think we got too controversial, but at the same time, maybe for some, it's, it's, uh, it's not exactly what they thought that we would say. But that, that's okay because it's not like we, 
we contrived the message. This is what the data says. Yeah. And I'm not going to raise a big ruckus if I go to Costco or something and somebody isn't wearing a mask rather than be six feet away. I'm going to be 19 feet away. Just in case. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll probably do it then for uh, installment number eight of the code files for gut check code project. Files. Thanks uh, all right. for bringing all the info. That was awesome. All right, Eric, thank you so much. And as always, you didn't even have to read the articles. You knew the answers before I even started. So strong I work. I don't know if that's an as always, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> all right, everyone. All right, everyone, like, like and share, uh, please. We're really trying to get some of these messages out yep. there. If you have any questions, please send it to us. We will try and contact. If we don't know it, if we can't find the literature on it, we will at least find an expert on it. And like, share, subscribe, whatever it is, all the other things people do. Go to our website, download that ebook. Um, because it, it is very informative. So Absolutely. stay safe. Stay Bye. safe, everyone. See you all next time.